Good morning, brothers and sisters. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. This is the most unusual Resurrection Day you have ever, you have ever experienced. The world is going through a pandemic. It's unprecedented. Have been, all of us have been affected by this pandemic. Our lives have been disrupted. Schools have closed. We now have to tutor our kids through online. Our businesses are closed. We are trying to survive. Millions of people are unemployed and are trying to survive. All of us probably know of someone or have heard of someone who have died of the virus. We are living in an extraordinary time. And all of us are worried, and people around us are worried. Non-believers are asking questions like this. Is there a God? If there is a God, does he care about me? And believers are also asking a lot of questions too. We are asking questions like, why is this happening? What can I do in this pandemic? How can I strengthen my faith? What does God want me to do during this time? I'm glad that we are celebrating Easter, resurrection of Jesus Christ during this pandemic because the certainty of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ has, has all has answers to all these questions. God has given us the truth about the resurrection as a way to strengthen our faith so that we will trust in Him, love Him, and obey Him. And for non-believers, the resurrection of Jesus is the evidence that shows God exists and He loves them, cares about them. So in this sermon, we will look at three points. The first point is the certainty of the physical resurrection of Jesus. Second, the resurrection strengthens believers' faith and obedience. This is an implication of the resurrection. And another implication of the resurrection is our third point. The resurrection testifies to non-believers that God exists and He loves them. Let's look at the certainty of the physical resurrection of Jesus. At this time of uncertainty, we need to be anchored by the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, Before we look at the certainty of the resurrection, I want to remind us of the importance of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is crucial for our Christian faith. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. We can just stop meeting on Sundays and live like the world and do whatever we want. Resurrection is essential to our faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 12-19 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
we are of all people most to, to be pitied. You see, the resurrection is essential to our faith. Without the resurrection, our sins are not forgiven. We are still in God's wrath. But because of the resurrection, it signifies that God has accepted the sacrificial offering of Christ on the cross. And through God and through Christ, our, God can forgive our sins and love us at the same time. The resurrection is critical for the Christian faith. Now, we can also have complete confidence that the resurrection is true because God has miraculously fulfilled his prophecy about the suffering of the Messiah and the subsequent glories. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12 says, Concerning this salvation, this implies the resurrection, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours search and inquire carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, us. They were serving us. Verse 12 is saying, when the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied about the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories of suffering, they wrote these prophecies for our benefit. Now, how does this benefit us? It benefits us by giving us certainty that the physical resurrection of Jesus is true. The certainty comes from knowing that only God can fulfill impossible prophecy like this. God fulfills the impossible prophecy that Jesus would die on the cross but then be resurrected. And after the resurrection, the gospel will spread to the world miraculously through love. Everyone in the world knows that victory, glory, does not come from suffering. Glory and victory does not come when your leader suffers and die on the cross. Every, everyone knows that victory, glory comes when you make your enemy suffer and when you, make your enemy, when you kill your enemies. Everyone expects that victory will come when the Jewish leaders are killed or when the Roman leaders, soldiers were killed, not when Jesus is killed. Everyone knows this. This is common sense. And even Jesus' disciples knew this. This is why when Jesus foretold his death to his disciples, Peter was so mad that he rebuked Jesus. He told Jesus that this shall never happen to you because it's so strange to him. This is a strange prophecy in the Old Testament. It is an impossible prophecy to fulfill. How can glory and victory come from suffering and the suffering and the death of your leader? But that is exactly what happened. Jesus suffered and died, but on the third day he was resurrected. And through the resurrection, Jesus gained glory and victory because millions of people throughout history have worshipped him as Savior and Lord. And after Jesus died and, res- and resurrected, the gospel of Jesus was spread through love 
and eventually Jesus transformed the soul of the Roman Empire, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire in 313 AD. God miraculously fulfilled these Old Testament prophecies. Look at these amazing prophecies in the Old Testament about the suffering of the Messiah and the subsequent glories. There are a lot of prophecies in the Bible about this, but we will only look at two passages. One is in Isaiah 53, and the other one is in Psalm 22. The whole chapter of Isaiah 53 is about the suffering of the Messiah, but that is not just about suffering, but also the subsequent glories. Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 5 says this. This is a prophecy about his crucifixion, his suffering. It says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteem him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And Isaiah 53 was written about 700 B.C. That is 700 years before the crucifixion of Christ. This is a clear prophecy about his crucifixion. But the prophecy in Isaiah 53 does not end there. It does not, in, it does not end in suffering. It also describes the subsequent glories of the Messiah. And this is in verses 10 to 11. And it says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, that is Jesus, his soul, makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their inequities. This is a clear prophecy about the subsequent glories of the Messiah. He will not stay in the tomb. He will not remain dead. He will be resurrected. It says he will prolong his days, and he will see his offsprings. He will see his spiritual offsprings who will believe in Christ, become righteous in Christ, and become the children of God. Is talking about the spread of the gospel. It's talking about victory, glory of the Messiah after his suffering. And in the whole chapter of Isaiah 53 is amazing. Is out of this world prophecy about the suffering of the Messiah and the subsequent glory. Nobody in the world will make this up. Even if they make this up, they cannot fulfill this. It is impossible. Only God can fulfill this impossible prophecy. This is why we could be certain that the word of God is true. The resurrection of Jesus is certain, 100% certain. 
It's not just in Isaiah 53. It's in Psalm 22. It prophesies the same thing. The whole psalm is about the suffering of the Messiah and the subsequent glories of the Messiah. Verses 40, uh, 14 to 18 says this. I this is describing uh, the, the Messiah's experience on the cross during his crucifixion. And he says this, I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a posture, and my tongue sticks to my jars. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompasses, encompass me, and a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I could count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. For my clothing, they cast lots. This passage perfectly accurately describes the, the crucifixion. It's often quoted in the Gospels. But Psalm 22 does not just prophesy about the suffering of the Messiah. It also prophesies about the subsequent glory of the Messiah. Look at verses 27 to 28. It says, it prophesies this. After the suffering, it says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. This is prophesying about the end times when Jesus will return and everyone will worship him. But after the resurrection of Jesus, the whole world has been moving toward this to fulfill this prophecy. Christianity has been spreading miraculously throughout the world ever since Jesus was resurrected. It miraculously spread to the entire Roman Empire and became the, the official religion of the empire. And it then spread throughout the whole world. Now billions of people in history have worshipped Jesus. And now, still, billions of people are still worshipping Jesus. Even the world's dating system revolves around Jesus. This is 2020 A.D. A.D. means the year of the Lord. So this is the year 2020 of the Lord Jesus Christ. This testifies to the expansion of the gospel is on the way to fulfill Psalm 22, verses 20 to 27 to 28. When Christ returns, he will completely fulfill this prophecy. Now, the victory of the, prof of the Messiah is even more miraculous when we look at how the Messiah used his disciples, who were nobodies, to spread the gospel and turn the Roman Empire upside down. The spread of Christianity through love, through these disciples, was miraculous for many reasons. It is unlike any religion in the world. When we say the church spread miraculously to the world, we are mainly talking about pre-313 AD, before Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. After Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, 
Christianity became less pure, less miraculous, because it became a tool for the politician. The spread of Christianity after 313 AD became less miraculous, less pure. Whenever the true worship of God is mixed with politicians, politics, true worship of God always loses because it becomes a tool for the politicians. This is why in the Old Testament, God was very strict about separating the power and responsibility of priests and kings. No priests can be king, and no kings can be priests. But before 313 AD, the spread of Christianity through his disciples was a pure miracle because they purely did it through love and sacrifice. They did not depend on any common human means. They did not depend on the power of the sword to coerce people to believe. They did not bribe people with money or position so that they would believe in Christ. They spread the gospel by obeying God and loving others. The gospel message that they proclaimed was very offensive, a very countercultural message. The gospel says we are all sinners under God's righteous judgment. And the only way to salvation is through Jesus. This is offensive now, and it was offensive back then. It was very offensive back then. It was so offensive and so countercultural that the, all the disciples had to suffer for believing Jesus and for proclaiming him. All the apostles were martyred except for the apostle John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos. And all the disciples had to suffer. Some were beaten. Some were disowned by their families. Some lost all their financial wealth and political powers. That's what happened to Paul. He was part of the ruling council, Sanhedrin. When he became a believer, he lost everything. They had nothing to gain financially, politically, by believing and proclaiming Jesus. The opposite was true. They have everything to lose. They had to pay a heavy price for believing and proclaiming. This is why Paul constantly warned the disciples that they must face many trials and afflictions before they can enter the kingdom of God. This is in Acts 14.22 But despite the offensiveness of the message and despite the suffering of the disciples, the disciples continued to spread the gospel through love. And eventually the gospel converted the whole Roman Empire. And this is a clear evidence that testifies to the certainty of the physical resurrection of Jesus. The spread of the gospel through love can only be possible because Jesus is risen. The tomb is emptied. There is no other explanation. He rules from heaven. He is not in the grave. The apostles were also men of high integrity. They did not lie. They knew that if they lied about God, they would go to hell. Now we read that in 1 Corinthians 15 earlier that 
Paul says if there's no resurrection, then they will be misrepresenting God. They will go to hell for that. And you know what? There's no reason for them to lie. Paul says if the resurrection is not true, then he is the most pitiful person in the world. It would be the most stupid thing to do to make up a religion that is a lie so that you will suffer, lose all your political power, wealth, and comfort, be disowned by your family, and be killed for it. Nobody does that kind of stuff. This is foolishness. There's no reason for them to lie. Only the resurrection can explain the miraculous transformation of Paul and other disciples. Paul actually persecuted the Christians, but when he saw the physical resurrected Jesus, he was miraculously transformed, and he suffered for believing in Jesus and proclaiming him. And all the disciples experienced the same thing. They saw the physical resurrected Jesus, and they became bold. They were willing to suffer to believe in Jesus and to suffer for him even though they, they were going through persecution, heavy persecution. Now, the glory and the victory of the Messiah after suffering is even more miraculous because the gospel spread even though Jesus was not physically present to guide the disciples and motivate them to spread the gospel in the midst of suffering. All these miraculous things can only be explained because Jesus resurrected. He is not in the tomb. He is risen. He is God. He is more than a man. Napoleon, one of the greatest generals in the world, understood this. Toward the end of his life, when he was defeated and exiled, he contemplated about Jesus and concluded that Jesus must have been God and the resurrection must be true. Because only the resurrection can explain the miraculous spread of Christianity through love. And this is what he says about Christ and the spread of Christianity. He says this, I know man, I tell you, Jesus Christ was not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and other religions the distance of infinity. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon sheer force. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men will die for him. Napoleon understood the miraculous spread of Christianity through love. And this is a clear miracle. This is a clear evidence to testify about the certainty of the physical resurrection of Jesus. And Napoleon was even more impressed that Jesus did all this without being physically present on earth to motivate, to direct his disciples directly. He says this, 
I think something. I think I understand something of humans, human nature. And I tell you, all these were men, these generals. I am a man. None else is like him. Jesus Christ was not, was more than a man. I have inspired multitudes with such an enthusiastic devotion that they would have died for me. But to do this, it was necessary that I shall be visibly present with the electric influence of my looks, my words, of my voice. When I saw men and spoke to them, I lighted up the flame of self-devotion in their hearts. Christ alone has succeeded in so raising the mind of man toward the unseen that it becomes insensible to the barriers of time and space. The miraculous spread of the gospel without the physical presence of Jesus Christ tells us that He is risen. He is God. He is able to direct and motivate His people from heaven. He is not dead. Many people see a resemblance between the spread of Christianity and many other religions or empires. On the surface, they may look the same. But when you look at all the details, the difference is night and day. Napoleon understood this. But some people will say, well, there are other religions that grew after the leaders die. For example, Mormonism, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. After the leader Joseph Smith was killed in a riot, the group moved to Utah and grew. <coughs> now, on the surface, it may look the same, but when you look at the details, the difference is night and day. There is nothing miraculous about the spread of Mormonism. The movement grew because they isolated themselves and started to have a lot of babies. Any movement can isolate themselves and grow by having lots of babies. But the early church did not isolate themselves. They immersed themselves in society. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they converted people day after day, even when they were suffering for it. When you isolate yourself, you don't suffer. When you immerse yourself in society, you suffer. And despite the suffering, they continue to love and the gospel continue to spread. That is a testimony that Christ is risen. He is on the throne. He rules over the world. And if you look at how Christianity grew and the skill by which it grew, it is nothing short of a miracle. No movement can compare to it. Uh, this is the year 2020 of the Lord Jesus Christ, not the year 2020 of Joseph Smith. Uh, even many secular historians have admitted that the spread of Christianity in the early church was nothing short of a miracle. It is unlike anything we have ever seen. It is a clear testimony that God can fulfill impossible prophecies it is a clear testimony that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is 100% certain. Now, how does the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus affect our lives, especially during this time of pandemic? 
The certainty of the resurrection of Jesus strengthens believers' faith and obedience. This is what the this is the po- uh, point number two in our sermon. The sh- resurrection should strengthen believers' faith and obedience. In First Peter, the whole letter. The resurrection is the basis for all the exhortations and commandments in the rest of the letter. Right after he prophesies about, right, right after Peter talks about the miracle of the prophecy about suffering and subsequent glories, he says this in verses 13 to 15. He says, therefore, right, that is because of the resurrection of Jesus, therefore, Preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Peter's original audience also lived in a very difficult and uncertain time, just like us. They were being persecuted for being Christians, for proclaiming Christ. They could have their possessions confiscated any time by the government or by evil people and have no legal recourse. They could be, be killed Their life was very uncertain for them, just as it is for us right now in this pandemic. But they can live holy lives even in very difficult and uncertain time, all because of the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus. For us, living a holy life like they did during this time of pandemic means that we continue to love God above all, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We love God by putting our trust in Him. He is our Heavenly Father. We are His children. He loves us and cares for us. He understands our weaknesses and our concerns. We can go to Him in our prayers and ask for help. We don't need to panic God will help us. Trust God. Don't be like the world in a panic. We should make proper preparations for the pandemic, but trust God for the future because He loves us and the future is in His hand. Trust God's unchanging character in this ever-changing world. We should also have confidence that no matter what happens in this pandemic, we will be resurrected and be with Christ forever. God is for us. Romans 8.28 says that everything happens for our spiritual good. We could trust in Him. He rules the world. He does everything for our good and for His glory. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope, as 1 Peter 1.13 says, should be set on the revelation of Jesus Christ and His second coming. We should be able to say with Paul in Philippians 1.21, 
to live is to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is how we love God above all in this pandemic. And we should also love our neighbors as ourselves during this pandemic by helping those who are in need. There are many brothers and sisters who may be struggling financially and emotionally, spiritually. We could call these people in your small group, in your community groups, and help them financially, can counsel them, talk with them. We should strengthen each other spiritually by meeting continuously over the internet, reading the Bible with each other, praying for each other, and remind each other of God's unchanging character, His unchanging love for us. We should also love our non-Christian neighbors. We should help those who are poor and the most vulnerable. And if you are an employer, I implore you to keep your employees on the payroll, especially for those who are poor and vulnerable, who cannot afford to pay for food and pay for the rent. If you cannot pay the full salary, at least get partial, partial salary so that they can eat and pay rent. This is true love. True love is revealed in a time of difficulty. You know, we saw a video a few weeks ago about how this time can be the church's finest moment. It will be the church's finest moment when we step out and help each other, help our neighbors when they are in need. Financially, physically, we help them. This builds a good foundation for the gospel so that we may be able to share the gospel with power later on. It also prevents the society from going to chaos, from social unrest. This is how we show love to our neighbors. We should also show love to our neighbors by sharing the gospel with them. Right now is a perfect time to share the gospel. Some, a lot of people are humbled by this disaster. Some are scared by this pandemic. They're asking questions like, is there a God? If there is a God, does he care about me? And we can, you can step in and tell them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just for believers, but it's also for unbelievers. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a sign, is a miracle for all unbelievers, all non-believers to see and believe. And this brings us to our third and final point. The certainty of the resurrection testifies to non-believers that God exists and He loves them. In Matthew 12, verses 38 to 40, the Pharisees wanted to test Jesus by asking Jesus to provide a sign to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Even though Jesus had performed countless, many miracles. But the Pharisees' questions was not sincere. They were set to not believe in him. They were set to kill him. They only asked this question to test him, to challenge him. So this is how Jesus answered. He says this, 
An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign, right? No miracle will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the hearts in the heart of earth. The sign of Jonah was the sign of Jesus' resurrection. And this sign of resurrection was given not just to the generation of, G- of, of the Pharisees, but it's given to every generation who does not believe in Jesus. In the Bible, the word generation oftentimes does not mean a specific group at a specific time like the Pharisees. In the Bible, the word generation is often used to mean a kind of people that exists in every time. Here, it's, a, it's referring to an evil people, an evil kind of people who do not believe. So this sign is for the Pharisees and also for everybody who does not believe now. This word, this is how the word generation is using Matthew 23, 35 to 36. Here, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, and he says this about them. <coughs> So that you, that is the Pharisees, the evil people who do not believe, may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Right? It's very obvious that the generation of Pharisees in Jesus' time did not live in the time of Abel with Zacharias to kill them. He is saying that he, generation here means every evil kind of people in every age who kill God's people. So in Matthew 12, Jesus is saying the sign of Jonah is not just for Jesus' generation, but for all generations who do not believe in Jesus. The miracle of the resurrection is for all non-believers. Now, how did the Pharisees see the resurrection, the miracle of the resurrection? They did not see the miracle of the resurrection by seeing the physical resurrected Jesus. Because according to 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus only appeared to his disciples. He did not appear to non-disciples. So the Pharisees only saw the effects of the resurrection. They did not see the actual physically dra- resurrected Jesus. They only saw the effects of the resurrection. They saw the empty tomb. And they saw the miraculous spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ through love. And every generation can see what the Pharisees saw by reading history and the Bible. The tomb must have been empty. Jesus must be resurrected. Only the resurrection can explain the miraculous spread of the gospel through love. No one expands an international organization from the grave. Jesus is not dead. He is in heaven, under throne, ruling over the world. Only the resurrection can explain the miraculous transformation of the disciples to make sacrifices to proclaim the gospel. 
Even the Jewish leaders recognize this. Look at Acts, Acts uh, 5.34. The context of Acts 5.34 is about the Jewish leader wanting to kill the apostles for proclaiming Jesus. But a really smart Pharisee, a highly respected Pharisee named Gamaliel, gave all the Pharisees advice. And this was his advice in Acts 5, verses 35 to 40. It says, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men, that is the apostles. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galatian, uh, Galilean rose in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is from man, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Gamaliel was absolutely right. If this movement is from man, then it would die. The gospel would totally die. Jesus was not here physically to direct this whole movement through love. But since it's from God, since he is resurrected, since he is on the throne, it's spread miraculously. And this is a miracle that every non-believer can see. If you do not believe in Jesus because you need to see a miracle first, then here is the miracle. The suffering of Jesus Christ and the subsequent glories of Jesus Christ. This is a miracle that you can look at and believe. Nobody can fulfill this impossible prophecy. See it and believe it. God does exist. And if you are wondering, does God love you? You can know for sure that God loves you. The crucifixion, death and resurrection of Jesus clearly tells us that God loves you. This is the purpose of sending his son. He sent his son, Jesus, to suffer and die on the cross for the very purpose of delivering you from God's righteous judgment against your sins. This is true love. This pandemic is a preview of God's global judgment of the this, of this sinful world. The eternal judgment by God in the end is much worse than this pandemic. This pandemic is, a, is God's loving warning to you to turn away from living your own sinful lives and turn to God by believing Jesus as your Savior and Lord. God loves you and he does not want you to experience his wrath. He wants you to experience his, his love. Don't just accept Jesus as your Savior. You must accept Jesus as your Lord. You must follow his commandments in the Bible. If you are not obeying him out of love, out of 
a thankfulness for your salvation. You must question the assurance of your salvation in this time of uncertainty. Don't be deceived. Return to the Lord. Accept Him as Savior and Lord. When you accept Him as a, as a Savior and Lord, all your sins will be forgiven. You will become a child of God. You will not experience a wrath in the end, but you will receive help now, even now during this pandemic. And you will receive the full blessing of His kingdom on earth when Jesus returns to establish His kingdom on earth. Today is a day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the certainty of the resurrection. It is a total miracle that all of us can see. All of us can believe and put our 100% confidence in. I pray that the resurrection will strengthen our soul, the soul of believers, to be not be afraid at this time, but to go before you in prayer to ask for help and to also help others. And I pray for all non-believers that they will receive Jesus as a Savior, not just Savior, but the Lord, and be assured of the salvation. Be assured that they will not experience your eternal judgment, which the pandemic is just a preview of it. Lord, may you be glorified. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in all of us and in all this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.